to life of Jesus Christ for the young Richard Newton, the birth of Christ. There is something very dismal about the darkness of night. And if you are sick, or suffering during the night, how slowly its hours pass away, and how long the night seems. And then what a pleasant thing it is when the sun rises and scatters its cheerful beams around. Then the birds begin to sing and the flowers open their leaves and unfold their loveliness and everything seems bright and beautiful. Before Jesus was born into our world, the state of things here was compared to night. The prophet Isaiah was speaking of this when he said, Darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness of people. Isaiah 60 verse 2 And it was the effect of Christ coming into our world that he was speaking of again when he said, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death. Upon them has a light shined. The birth of Christ was to be like the morning coming after a long, dark night. The prophet Malachi compares the coming of Christ to the rising of the sun. This is what he means when he says, Unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, or his beams. Malachi 4.2 Christ's coming was like sunrise to the world. The birth of Christ was the most important event that ever took place in the history of our world. This is a great event of which we are now to speak, and in speaking of it there are four things connected with it to be considered. These are the time of its birth the place of his birth, the circumstances of his birth, and the reasons for his birth. Or to express it more briefly, when, where, and how, and why was Christ born? We begin then by considering when Christ was born. Any Sunday school boy or girl can answer the question, when was Christ born? We reckon our years from the time when this great event took place. We know all what year it is that we are living in. We call this the year 1877. And what we mean by this numbering of the years is that Jesus was born into our world 1877 years ago. Learned men who have examined this subject carefully tell us that the birth of Christ really took place four years before this. They say that these four years ought to be added to these 1877. This would make it actually 1881 years since the birth of Christ. But we may well be content to let the figures stand as they are. We call this year Anno Domini, 1877. This means in the year of our Lord, 1877. And every time we speak of the year in which we are living, we are, as it were, pointing back to the time of our Savior's birth. And what Luke tells us agrees with this. He informs us that John the Baptist began his ministry in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Luke 3.1 John was then thirty years old. This is our Savior's age, too, for he and John were born in the same year, within six months of each other. The fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar corresponds with the year thirty, Anno Domini, or the thirtieth years of our present way of reckoning time. And Tiberius Caesar began his reign when John and Jesus were about fifteen years old. And it's twice fifteen make thirty that shows us that our present way of reckoning time from the birth of Christ is correct. But someone may ask the question whether there was nothing said in the Old Testament about the time when Christ was to be born. Yes, 
There were two things said, and it may be well enough for us to take a look at them here. One of the things about the time of Christ's birth was spoken of by the patriarch Jacob. The old man is on his deathbed. He gathers his sons round him that he might, as we say, tell them their fortunes, or let them know something about what would happen to them in the future. He begins with Reuben the oldest and goes on to Benjamin the youngest. The most important of all the things he had to say was when he came to speak of his son Judah. And the reason of this was that Judah was the head or father of the tribe from which Christ was to be born. And speaking of Judah, this is part of what he said. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Genesis 49 verse 10. A great many difficult questions have been raised upon this passage. We need not trouble ourselves about these. The real meaning of it is simple enough for any thoughtful young person to understand. Shiloh here means peacemaker. This refers to Christ. By the rod or scepter here spoken of in connection with Judah and the lawgiver, Jacob meant to say that Judah was to continue a distinct tribe and be at the head of the nation until Christ came. And this was the case. But very shortly after our Savior left the world, Jerusalem was destroyed. Judah ceased to be a distinct tribe and lost its authority as the head of the nation. Unless then our Savior had been born about the time that his birth did take place, the prophecy of Jacob would not have been fulfilled. But the scripture cannot be broken. Jacob's prophecy was fulfilled. Christ, the Shiloh, did come while Judah was a distinct tribe. It's indicated by the rod or scepter, and having the chief authority in the nation, as was denoted by its being the lawgiver. And this was what Jacob taught us about the time when Christ was to be born. And then there is another passage in the Old Testament which is very interesting on account of what it teaches us in reference to the time of Christ's birth. This is found in the book of Daniel. And the interesting thing about this passage is, that it gives the date of Christ's birth and tells us in figures when he was to be born. When Daniel lived, the Israelites were captives in Babylon. But Daniel found out by studying the Bible and by prayer that the time of their captivity was nearly ended. And he told his countrymen for their encouragement that an order or decree would soon be issued by the authority of the king of Babylon, giving them permission to go back to their own country and to build again the walls of Jerusalem. And then, to encourage them still more, he went on to tell about the coming of the great Messiah, of whom all their prophets had spoken. And one of the things which he told them concerning him was the time when he would be born. In the ninth chapter of Daniel, in the twenty-fourth and twenty-fifth verses, we read what the prophet said to them on this subject. These are his words. Seventy weeks are determined upon your people and upon your holy city to furnish a transgression, and so on. This is Daniel's famous prophecy of the 70 weeks. Learned men have found great difficulties in explaining this prophecy and have started many hard questions about it. We have nothing to do with these. All that we need trouble ourselves about is just to get the plain, simple meaning of the passage. And it is not hard to do this. The decree, the commandment, for rebuilding Jerusalem, spoken of by Daniel here, is that of which we read in Ezra 7 verse 11. This was issued by King Ahasuerus. And Daniel said that within seventy weeks from that time Christ the Messiah was to be born and to live and to die. Now, in the way in which the prophets used to speak of time, a day was counted for a year. 
and is there seven days in a week? Seventy weeks multiplied by seven would give 490 days or 490 years as a period of time in which Daniel was here speaking. And what Daniel here taught to people was that within the period of 490 years from the time when Ahasuerus should issue his decree for the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the birth and the life and the death of Christ would all take place. Now let us look at these figures for a moment and see how this sum works out. Get a reference Bible and turn to Ezra 7 verse 11. Here, we had a commandment or decree to which Daniel refers. At the head of the column of references in your Bible, you will find that the date of this decree was 457 years before Christ. This brings us to the time when Christ was to be born, and it was to be 457 years after that decree went forth. At the time of his death, our Savior was 33 years old. Now add to these two amounts together 457 and 33, and the result is 490. And so Daniel's figures do not lie. They tell the simple truth. Within the 70 weeks, or the 490 years of which he spoke, from the time when Ahasuerus issued his decree for rebuilding Jerusalem, all the great events which he foretold come to pass. Messiah was born. Messiah lived. Messiah died or was cut off. And so there are four ways in which we can tell when Christ is born. We can count back from the year in which we are living and tell when this great event took place. We can take St. Luke's account of the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Jesus was 30 years old, and work out the date of his birth from that. We can go back to old Jacob's prophecy about Judah and Shiloh and trace it out from that, or we can take Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks, or the 490 years, and find out how exactly that points out to when Christ was born. 700 years before he came into our world, the place where he was to be born has been distinctly foretold. The prophet Micah had said, And thou Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth to me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Micah 5 verse 2. This was a prophecy, and see how it is fulfilled. About the time that Jesus was born, we read that there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. Matthew 2 verses 1 and 2. This led Herod to call the chief priests and scribes of the people together, demanding of them when Christ should be born. The answer they gave him was, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Matthew 2 verse 5. And thus, to prove this, they quoted the prophecy of Micah, of which we have just spoken. And how strangely it came to pass that Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus, should have been at Jerusalem when the time came for him to be born. They had been living at the little town of Nazareth in Galilee. This is far away from Bethlehem. They had no business and no relatives or friends to bring them to Bethlehem. But God put it into the heart of Augustus Caesar, the emperor of Rome, and his imperial palace in that great city to send forth a decree for enrolling or making a census of the inhabitants of Syria, as well as other parts of the Roman Empire. This rendered it necessary for every family to go up to the city of their fathers, and this brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem just in time for Jesus to be born there. If that decree had not been issued at all, or if it had been issued a month earlier, 
or a month later, there would have been nothing to call Joseph and Mary away from Nazareth at that precise time, and Jesus would not have been born in Bethlehem. The emperor of Rome little thought when he issued that decree that he was helping to fulfill a Jewish prophecy written 700 years before, which foretold that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. But in this strange way, God caused that prophecy to be fulfilled. How wonderful this was. When we think about it, we may well say in the language of the hymn, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to pure form. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. The town in which Christ was born was called Bethlehem, Ephrata, or Bethlehem of Judea, to distinguish it from another town of the same name in the tribe of Zebulun. The meaning of Bethlehem is house of bread. This is a very appropriate name to be given to the birthplace of him who came down from heaven on purpose to be the bread of life to a hungry and perishing world. Bethlehem is situated about six miles south of Jerusalem. In itself, it has never been a place of much importance. The prophet Micah called it a little place in his day, and such it has always been. Its present population is not more than about 3,000. They are chiefly peasants who live by the cultivation of their fields or gardens. The appearance of the town as you approach is very beautiful. It is situated on a narrow ridge. The sides of this ridge are terraced down to the deep valleys that lie beneath. These terraces are well cultivated, being covered with rows of olive trees intermingled with vines and fig trees. They sweep in graceful curves around the hill like natural stairs. We cannot help feeling an interest in Bethlehem because of what we learn from the Old Testament of its connections with David. It was here that Jesse, the father of David, lived. Here, David was born. It was in Bethlehem and in the fields and forests around that he kept his father's sheep when a boy. It was here he fought the lion and the bear that came to steal the lambs of his flock. And it was here that the prophet Samuel came at the command of God to anoint the ruddy-faced shepherd boy to the future king of Israel. Here David lived till he left his sheep to become a soldier. And this is the reason why Bethlehem was called the city of David. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and this is what will give the place its greatest distinction forever. When we hear or read of Bethlehem, the first thing that we think about is the stable in which the Savior of the world was born, and the manger in which that child of wonders lay. And of course, the first object of interest to everyone who visits Bethlehem is that most sacred spot, the place of the Nativity. It was so with my companions and myself when we arrived at Bethlehem. We went directly to where we are told that stable once stood. Of course, there is no stable there now. Instead of this, a large church called the Covenant of the Nativity covers a hallowed spot. This is an enormous building said to have been erected by the Empress Helena in the early part of the 4th century. It is, therefore, one of the oldest specimens of Christian architecture in the world. What is called a nave of this great church that is the body of it, or the part that stands between the chancel rail and the chief entrance in front of the church is a portion of greatest interest. From this we went down to an underground vault over which, and on account of which, this vast church was built. Here, at the entrance of a long winding passage cut out of the limestone rock of which the hill of Bethlehem is composed, we found ourselves in a small irregular shaped chapel. This chapel is said to stand just where the stable stood in which Joseph and Mary found lodging on that memorable night. 
It is dimly lighted with silver lamps. There are two small recesses in this chapel nearly opposite each other, and one of these recesses on the north side is a marble slab set in the floor. This slab has a silver star fastened on its surface. This star is said to mark that most sacred of all places, the place of the nativity of the Son of God. Around this star, cut into the marble, are these words in Latin. In English, they are these, Here Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. I never can forget the strange and impressive thoughts and feelings that fill my mind and heart as I stood musing there. That spot marked a place and a time to which everything had looked forward since our world was made. And that spot marks a place and a time to which everything will look backward while our world shall last. It was very affecting to stand there and think of Jesus the Son of God seated now at the right hand of the Father in heaven, where all the angels of God worship him. And then to think of the helpless little one born in that stable of Bethlehem. And it was very comforting then and there to take up the simple words of the little child's hymn for night and morning and say, Once thou worked in cradle aid, baby bright in manger shade, with the oxen and the cows and the lambs outside the house. Now thou art above the sky, thou canst hear a baby cry. We should be thankful that we know so well the place where Christ was born. 